respect for God's word, please stand with me as we read this passage together. I'll be reading Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. So hear now God's holy word. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Let's pray together. Father, help us to hear your voice. And would you soften our hearts where we have been hard? Would you bring us back where we have been wandering? Would you save us for yourself? And would you help us to trust in you? For you are our God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One of the greatest stories in all of Scripture is the story of God's delivering his people out of slavery in Egypt. And they had been in slavery, in bondage, hard labor to Pharaoh, and they cried out to the Lord for deliverance. And the Lord heard their cries, and he began his rescue mission to save his people. He said to Pharaoh, let my people go. But Pharaoh resisted. And so the Lord said, watch this. And he sent plague upon plague upon the Egyptian people until finally Pharaoh relented and he let God's people go. But as soon as they were out of slavery and on their way, Pharaoh changed his mind and he decided to chase after them to bring them back. And the Israelites were hemmed in by the Red Sea in front of them and Pharaoh's army behind them. And they were in a desperate situation. But the Lord said, watch this. And he parted the Red Sea and they passed through safely to the other side. It was an amazing deliverance that God brought about. If this God is for them, who could be against them? But as soon as they were beyond the Red Sea, and the Red Sea was in the rearview mirror, all of a sudden their stomachs began to rumble, and their hearts began to grumble. Oh, if only we had been back in Egypt. There we had food. Where are we going to find food in this wilderness? And the Lord said, watch this. And he rained down bread from heaven, and they fed their stomachs. 
and everything was fine. Another amazing deliverance. So they marched on. But they go a little bit further, and all of a sudden, they got thirsty. And they grumbled again. Oh, how are we going to survive? We're in the desert. Where, is there, where are we going to find water? There's no way. Why would the Lord bring us out of Egypt so that we would die in the wilderness, us and our children and our livestock? And the Lord said, watch this. And he told Moses, Moses, strike that rock. He struck the rock and water gushed out. And they all drank and they were satisfied. Another amazing deliverance. So they marched on. And they marched to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God gave his covenant. He said, I will be your God, and you will be my people. I will protect you, I will provide you, I will be with you. And he led them, and he, they saw the pillar of cloud by day. They saw the pillar of fire by night. He was with them, and they were on their way to the land of promise, the land that he had said, I will give you this land. You will go in and take possession of this land. I am the Lord. And they got close. And so the Lord said, send in some spies. Check out the land. Get ready to take possession of it. So they sent out the spies. And the spies came back. And a mixed result. Caleb and Joshua said, let us go at once, for we are able to overcome it. But the rest of them said, we are not able to go. They're stronger than we are. This is a land that devours its inhabitants. The people are huge. We seem like grasshoppers to them and to us. And so God's people had, had been delivered out of Pharaoh's clutches. They had walked on dry land through the Red Sea. They, they had eaten God's provision of food. They had drank God's provision of drink and quenched their thirsts and yet they did not believe they did not believe they said would that we have died in Egypt or died in the wilderness why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword and the Lord God who had been gracious and generous time and time again said enough these people are always hardened against me. And I swear in my wrath, they will never see my wrath. Or never see my rest. And beloved, this is an important story for us to understand. Because the author of Hebrews connects that story to us by saying... We are at peril of the, the very same result. We have received an even greater deliverance than what the Lord gave his people through Moses. And yet he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Let's the same thing happen to you. Because, beloved, if God were to punish the unbelief of the Israelites after a deliverance from Egypt, we are told that we should expect that God would most certainly punish unbelief after the great salvation that we have received. We have received. 
And what is at stake is our share in Christ. What's at stake is our share in Christ. And so we must live by faith in Christ himself. And it's really a question of confidence. He, uh, the author gives us, wants us to question where is our confidence and our trust? And he gives us two false sources of confidence that we trust in and one true source of confidence that we must trust in. And the two false are not our proximity to salvation nor our profession of faith, but we must trust in a person. Not proximity or profession, but a person. But first, the proximity to salvation. So kids, proximity is a fancy word to just mean how close we are to something. How close we are to something. We can see God's salvation. And we can even be offered the promises of salvation or the blessings of salvation. And we can not receive it. That's not a... A, uh, a, a viable source of our confidence. The Israelites were delivered from Egypt. They heard the Lord's voice. And yet what does the, the, the text ask in verse 16? Who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And we have received a great deliverance. We have been told with surety this gospel of salvation that if we believe in Jesus Christ, we will be saved. And yet, the text text exhorts us today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So for us who have received God's word, God's salvation, there is a possibility that we could harden our hearts. So we need to be careful. We need to watch out. And our confidence can't be in the covenant community, or what we would call the church. It can't be in that covenant community. God gives salvation to us. We participate in salvation by being part of God's covenant community. That is where he extends his salvation but we must live in accordance with the obligations of that community. So think about the covenant relationship of marriage. There are true blessings in being married, but we must live in accordance with the responsibilities of marriage. And it's the same thing with God's covenant with us. We must live in in accordance with that covenant that God has extended to us. All the Israelites were members of God's covenant. He had said, I will be your God, you will be my people. And we are as well. We who have put our faith in Christ and have joined the church, we are members of his covenant. And we are welcomed into that covenant by means of baptism. We are baptized into his covenant community. And in a sense, the Israelites were baptized as well. As they passed through the Red Sea, Scripture says that it is like they were being baptized into God's covenant community. And yet, the entire generation fell in the wilderness. Being part of the community brings true blessing. We must be a part of the community. 
And yet being in the church, being in that community is not our source of confidence. So not proximity, but also not profession. Profession, uh, declaring faith. Every one of these Israelites had given a credible profession of faith. As they had been at Mount Sinai and God had extended his covenant to them, they all said with one voice, all that you have said, we will do. And yet they fell because of unbelief. They fell because of unbelief. We who are in the church do so because we've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. But as one commentator said, profession does not necessarily mean possession. We can say those words, but we must live in accordance with it. And this is a source of confusion for us in the church often. We often think, well, if somebody has made a profession of faith at some point in their life, because they profess faith in Christ, then they, uh, regardless of what they do, they are saved, they are safe and secure uh, for the rest of their life. And the profession of faith is necessary. Scripture says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But it must be accompanied by a true faith because Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So the profession itself is not a source of confidence. We must live by it. I mean, think about the parable of the soils or the sower. Two of those soils, the the rocky soil and the thorny soil, there was a heart that made a profession of faith. They received the word with joy and immediately sprung up. And yet, either they had no root or they were thorns and they... The, the grain died. The profession is not sufficient, nor is our participation in the Lord's Supper. Uh, we would call this a sealing ordinance. This is a meal, a holy meal that is given to us for our spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. There is true blessing as we feed on the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, but that in it, that our participation in that is not a source of confidence. It is effective when it is received by faith. And we can see this in the Israelites. The Lord rained his manna upon them and they ate it. The Lord gave them water from a rock. And Jesus said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And the Apostle Paul says that that water from the rock was participation in the Lord Jesus Christ. What we'd say when we come to the Lord's table. And yet that food was not sufficient to sustain them into the promised land because they did not accompany it with faith. They were, they did not believe. This is a meal that is effective when accompanied by saving faith. It is a faith that perseveres to the end. So it's not in proximity to salvation. It's not in our profession, but it must be in a person. It must be in a person. I don't know if you caught this, but this is a remarkable thing that the Lord says. 
he says in verse 9, they saw my works, but then in verse 10 he says, but they have not known my ways. They saw my works, but they have not known my ways. They saw the, the works, but they did not attach it to the person. They did not have faith in who God was and the surety of his promises. He was the one that heard. He was the one that rescued. He was the one that saw that they were trapped. He was the one that parted the Red Sea. He was the one that heard their rumbling stomachs and he fed them. He was the one that felt their parched throats and gave them water to drink. It was all from him. But over and over, their hearts were grumbling. They were grumbling. They failed to see his tender and persistent, enduring love for them. They failed to see the, the care and the, the particular attention that he applied to them. And after all of that, when they got to the land that he had promised and sworn to them that they would have, they doubted and they revolted. So, beloved, what, what has the Lord done for you that perhaps in the midst of your grumbling you have overlooked? What blessings have you just blown right by in the context of your, your frustrations or your struggles in life. We have to pay attention. Because God's care for his people was personal. He was caring for them. And um, their revolt was personal. And God took it personally. He says in verse 9, your fathers put me to the test. They put me to the test. They provoked his wrath because they're grumbling. Our grumbling, beloved, this is why grumbling is wrong. Our grumbling is a declaration that God is untrustworthy. Untrustworthy. This distrust is a personal affront to our God. It is, it is hearing God's promises and then insulting him by failing to trust them. He takes it personally. He has given us, he's given us marvelous promises, beloved. And they are sure because they are from God. They're God who is, is extending those promises to us. And they're sure because God is perfectly trustworthy, perfectly trustworthy. And if we've been paying attention in the book of Hebrews, we, we, we see his trustworthiness in how he treated the Lord Jesus Christ. He sustained the Lord Jesus Christ through all of his suffering in life. He accepted the sacrifice of, that Jesus gave of himself, which he proved by raising him from the dead and vindicating him as the Son of God. He has exalted him and been faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he put that on display and says, watch this. Watch how I save you. This is my faithfulness. It is sure in my Son, Jesus Christ. 
And that's what, that's what the author says here. He says, verse 14, we have come to share in Christ. All of the blessings, all of the promises, everything that we have are wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. And our surety, our, our trust is in God's faithfulness, which he demonstrated already in Jesus Christ, and he is demonstrating to you and me. Every blessing that we have is ours in Jesus Christ. The reason why our salvation is valuable, why we trust in the salvation that we have seen is because that salvation is in Jesus Christ, who is our source of salvation. The reason why the community has any value whatsoever is because this is the community that, that we have in Christ Jesus. This is his body joined together by his spirit, praising the triune God together. The only reason why the sacraments have any value, the only reason why we, our profession has any value, because we're professing faith in Christ Jesus. We're participating in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Everything is in him. And beloved, we can become so focused on the things, the stuff, the activities of Christianity that we can completely miss the faithfulness of our God. The faithfulness of our God, which he demonstrated in Christ Jesus and demonstrates in us. And I'd ask you to evaluate whether you do that by thinking about this in four different ways. So first, let's talk about, or think about how you approach Scripture, God's words, God's word. Our God wants us to know his works, but he wants us to understand his ways. And he reveals himself in Scripture. He is revealing himself, his character, his love for you. He wants you to trust him and to know him. So how do you approach Scripture? Is it a collection of stories? Is it a, a set of rules to live by? Are you looking for comfort for your soul in the way of, or in the, in the course of life? Are you looking for theological truths so you understand the truth? And beloved, all those things are in God's word, but they are all wrapped up in the character and the person of who God is. God wants you to know him. He wants you to know his story and how that story, how you fit into that story. His story of his love for you and his care for you, his deliverance of you. Another way I want you to consider it is with respect to prayer. You know, why is prayer so hard for us? Why, are we, why is it so, so hard for us to get into a habit of godly prayer? I think it's because we don't understand God's ways and we don't trust him. But beloved, your God wants you to pray to him. He wants you to pray to him so much and he knows that it is good for you that he commands you to pray to him so that even if you come to the throne of grace with coldness of heart and a lack of faith, he might teach you 
how much he loves you and how much he wants you to grow in this. He wants to show you that he answers prayer, that he wants to hear your voice. He wants to dialogue with you and help you to grow in him. So trust him that he wants your prayers, he hears your prayers, and he answers your prayers. A third uh, way to check the state of your heart here is with trials. So that was what was going on with the original hearers of this letter to the Hebrews. And uh, 20th century theologian A.W. Pink wrote this. It's a little long, but uh, I think this is helpful. Testings reveal the state of our hearts. A crisis never makes nor mars a man, but it does manifest him. While all is smooth sailing, we appear to be getting along nicely. But are we? Are our minds stayed upon the Lord? Or are we instead complacently resting in his temporal mercies? When the storm breaks, it's not so much that we fail under it, as that our habitual lack of leaning upon God or daily walking in dependency upon him is made evident. Beloved, trials can illuminate uh, the unbelief in your heart. So in the trials that you are facing right now, and most of us here are facing significant trials, where are you turning? How are you processing through this? Are you drawing near to Christ because knowing that he knows you and he's experienced these trials that you've gone through, coming to him for help, or, or what? Where is your confidence? And this letter was written, specifically this passage, to say, watch out, watch out, because this is a point of peril. This is a point where your heart can grow hard. And to that point, the fourth place where we really need to look is where, how do we respond to sin? How do we respond to sin? Notice what he says, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Take care. Take care. And this, this command, it's, it's, it is to us individually, but even more than that, it is a, um, a community command. He's saying, uh, take care that, that we don't let anyone within us, that there be in any of us an evil, unbelieving heart, causing us to fall away from the living God. The, the, their grumbling and complaining can start small and then spread like gangrene. The Israelites, there were a few that grumbled, a few that feared, and the entire generation perished in the wilderness. The Lord was angry with the entire generation. And the remedy is there in verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We're to exhort one another every day, every day, because why? Because sin is deceitful. There's a deceitfulness of sin. There is a, there is 
probably not a sin that you have been tempted to commit that has not had a pleasing or positive aspect to it. There has been a deceitfulness of it. Or perhaps you've logically reasoned that um, you deserve this particular pleasure, sinful pleasure, sinful action. Or maybe you've said, my circumstances demand that I behave in this sinful way. Beloved, that that is the deceitfulness of sin. The pleasures of sin will turn to gravel in your mouth. Sin is never justified, never justified, and no circumstance in your life ever compels you to sin. Because when we turn in sin, what we are saying is God is not trustworthy. And because God is not trustworthy, I must take matters into my own hands and that means rebelling against what God says to get the results, the pleasure, the ends that I am looking for or that I want. And beloved, that is evil. That is pure evil. Your God is perfectly wise and perfectly good and loves you. These are these, these thoughts, the deceit of sin, that, that those are seeds sown by the evil one to cause this evil, unbelieving heart that would cause you to fall away from the living God. The Lord Jesus Christ came to give you life in the full. He gave up his life to set you free. Trust him. Trust him in the midst of the temptation and rest in his care. He says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Is your heart being hardened? Are you hardening your hearts? Is the the sin, the deceitfulness of sin, hardening your heart? Let me say this. If you are feeling the weight of your sin and the pain of not meeting up to God's holy standard, you are not being hardened. Praise God, that is a soft heart, beloved. That is a soft heart. To you, hear what the Lord Jesus Christ says. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. If you confess your sins, you will be forgiven, beloved. That's not a hard heart. A hard heart is one in which your delight in your Savior has begun to lost its savor. And you've begun to trifle with sin. You've begun to excuse it and delight in it or deny it rather than repenting of it so that you might draw near to your Savior, Jesus Christ. And beloved, hear, hear your peril. And I exhort you, do not harden your heart. Return to the Lord that you might be healed. He says, today if you hear his voice, but today if you don't hear his voice, what if you don't hear his voice today? And 
Beloved, I would say, listen. Listen because he is speaking to you. If you don't hear his voice, perhaps your heart has already become hardened. Consider the parable of the soils again. The, 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 par- the, the seed upon the path. The seed took no root because the path, there was no place for the seed. The ground was too hard. Beloved, ask the God of mercy to till the soil of your heart that you might receive his word, that you might hear what he says to you. Ask him. He is merciful. Listen. And to all of us, beloved, we have to hear the community imperative that our God gives us, that we would exhort and encourage one another every day, that none of us may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's, it's an encouragement that we must give. We must be watchful. We must do it every day because every day we are tempted and sin is always crouching at the door. But if some of us have fallen into that hardness, we still have an obligation. We still have an obligation. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if any of you is caught in a sin... You who are spiritual ought to restore one another in a spirit of gentleness. But watch yourself or you also will be tempted. And he uses the word restore. And there's a lot packed into that word. That means confronting this brother or sister with their sin. It is calling them to repentance. Holding them to the standard of God's word. And when they repent, welcoming them back, restoring them, forgiving them for the health of the body, the health of the covenant community, the peace and purity of the church. This is an obligation that we have. This is how we love one another within the body. And if we turn it even around, there are times where Brothers or sisters might come to us. We need to listen. We need to have ears that are open. Consider the fact that your God speaks to you through your brothers and sisters when they are coming with the word of God. This is how we love one another. This is how we are loved. This is how we are rescued from an evil, unbelieving heart is through God's word as we speak it to one another. And so, beloved, finally, um, God has shown you his works. He has shown you his works. Do you know his ways? Do you know his ways? Can you look to the Israelites wandering in the wilderness and seeing God's faithfulness and his gentleness and his grace to see how he has, as a pattern for how he has dealt with you, Can you look at your life and see how he has cared for you in ways far beyond your imagination? And can you look to the Lord Jesus Christ and see his faithfulness both then and as a surety of his promises to the end of days? And beloved, are you listening to his voice? Because he's speaking to you. 
He's merciful and he's mighty. He's loving and he is your Lord. He is powerful and he is protecting you. He is for you. He has promised all these things out of his sheer good pleasure. And you know it because he tells you, he shows you, and he points you to Christ and he says, watch this. So beloved, today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, but trust him, trust him with all of your heart because he loves you, he is for you, and he is absolutely trustworthy. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace to us and your kindness. Thank you for revealing us, revealing to us your ways, your works, your might, your love. Oh, Spirit, help us to trust. Help us to see all the ways that you have been gracious to us. Help us to hold one another in the love of Christ, even as you work through us that which is pleasing in your sight. Oh, Father, fill us with joy and worship that we might praise you for all your goodness. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.